This is your host, Caitlin Cook, and welcome back to the Dead Kate Bounce Experience. This week's guest is Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise Asset Management, a company focused on bringing crypto education and investment products to professional investors. Not only is Matt at the helm of a large U.S. firm sitting at the intersection of traditional and decentralized finance, he's also far and away one of the most thoughtful and pragmatic educators in the space, especially when it comes to crypto for traditional finance professionals. Matt and I discuss crypto market cyclicality, tips for onlookers that want to filter out the noise in a sea of headlines, what crypto-related firms and projects in the U.S could be doing better to promote positive change, the biggest headlines in U.S. regulatory headwinds of 2023, and what even the biggest of crypto skeptics should be keeping an eye on as the space continues to evolve. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Matt. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I've always wanted to be on. Very excited to be here today. So I, um, for, for everyone listening, I worked with Matt a bit or spoke with him quite a bit in my previous life with the Crypto for Advisors crowd. So um, really, really nice and a bit nostalgic uh, having you on here and very excited. Really um, no shortage of things to talk about for sure, which is what I'm excited to get into. I've always thought of you as one of the most practical, rational people in this incredibly chaotic space. And um, with everything that's even happened since the beginning of year of the year, I'm thinking Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, everything on the regulatory front in the U.S. Let's just get right into it because there's so much to get into here. Um, you've been like very vocal recently around everything that's been happening on a regulatory front, everything that's been happening in the markets. We were saying before recording, it feels like every day I wake up and scroll on my timeline on Twitter, uh, getting my news there as everyone seems to do these days. And there's always something new. Um, good or bad, always something happening. So if you can do this better than anyone, really, I would say, what has been happening this year so far um, that has made the past three months and 12 days so far on the day of this recording feel like a year in itself? At least a year, maybe a decade. (laughs) It has been the case every time you wake up, sort of peel open the laptop and you're worried about what you're going to find inside. Uh, There's, of course, been two big stories this year. You know, one this incredible cavalcade of negative news. You have the SEC uh, issuing a Wells notice to Coinbase. You have the CFTC suing Binance. You had the failure of Genesis. You had bank collapses. You had warnings from the FDIC, Treasury, DOJ, and others about the risks in crypto. Uh, I'm probably leaving out 10 or 12 other sort of negative regulatory headlines. So you have this incredible wave of negative regulatory news, we can, or, or, or what's perceived as negative news. We can talk about what it really means in a minute. And on the other side, you have a spectacular rally in crypto prices, right? You had Bitcoin go up, I think it was 72% in Q1 and continue to rally into April. 
You had Ethereum rallying into the Chappella upgrade, which many people were initially worried would be a headwind. We thought that was wrong as well. So it's sort of been, you know, the best of times and the worst of times. You've had incredible price performance. Uh, you've had some perceived uh, regulatory crackdown on crypto. And I think what people are wondering and what we can talk about is why you're seeing that strong rally in the face of this negative news. And then, you know, what happens for the next nine months and indeed for the next couple of years. And we have a very specific view on where the market is going uh, for that. But that's it's been an incredible four months. Yeah, lots to get into there. And it's funny you mentioned the price action, right? It, I think it's very hard for people to cope with the fact that markets are going up and to the right, given everything that's going on, particularly in the States, but globally as well. What is driving that, in your opinion? I know it's probably a mix of things, but given everything that we've seen perceived as negative news, how is this still happening? Because I think a lot of people are trying to wrap their heads around that right now. Yeah, I think everyone is. But we have a very specific view. There, there are two big things that are going on. There are a lot of little things, but two big things. The one, as you know, is that crypto is cyclical. Like if you look at the price of Bitcoin since it started trading publicly in 2011, it's followed this familiar pattern of three big up years and one big pullback. So 2011 to 2013, amazing years. 2014, Mt. Gox collapsed and the prices fell 65%. 2015 to 2017, bull market days. 2018, a huge soul-crushing collapse. And then, of course, the last three years, 2019 to 2021, massive bull market, DeFi summer, stable coins booming, and then a reset last year. So to some degree, the crypto market was sort of primed to rally anyway, right? The biggest lesson of crypto over the last 10 years is not going away. Every time it gets knocked down because of regulatory crackdowns or, or technological collapses or other issues, it's bounced back. So to some degree, it was primed to bounce back anyway. Uh, at the same time, you have uh, this, this, this regulatory crackdown, which people would assume would drive the price lower. But there are two important nuances that I think people overlook. One, it was expected, right? We had FTX collapse. We had BlockFi. We had Celsius. We had Luna. We were going to have the regulators sit on the sidelines. So I think to a large degree, the market had already priced in a good deal of regulatory response. And then the other piece, which is really important, is that we think it's a long-term positive. If you're operating from the assumption that crypto will be uh, transformative in the next 10 years, that it will remake how finance works, we remake how money works, remake how social network works, you have to assume that it's going to exist in a, uh, a better regulatory environment than it is today in a more clear regulatory environment with bright line rules that entrepreneurs can build around. And in order to get to that, you need to have these sorts of regulatory debates that we're having. Now, I wish we were having them in a collaborative way. We're having them in a contentious way instead, but I'll take that. If that's what it takes, it's gonna mean it's messy for a year. It might mean it's messy for two years, but at the other side, there's the, the proverbial pot of rainbow at, at uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right? We're going to go through this harrowing debate and we'll get to regulatory clarity. And I think that will be very good for the market long term. Yeah, I mean, there's messiness in the middle. There always is. Right. And I, I saw you tweet this the other day and couldn't agree more is that we're trying to regulate a 21st century asset with a 20th century rules. Right. There's going to be growing pains in that. There's going to be, you know, good and bad in that. And it's not going to be a smooth process, to say the least. 
in all of what you talked about, and you mentioned Genesis, you mentioned Silicon Valley Bank, everything that's been going on this year, FTX last year as well. What was material in the midst of that, in your opinion, for actually driving things moving forward versus what was largely noise in terms of long-term impact? Yeah, I think there's been, uh, on the negative side, I do think Operation Choke Point 2.0, or the effort to make it more difficult for crypto companies to engage with traditional banking, I think that's a legitimate long-term headwind for crypto. I'm not a kind of guy who says everything is good, and that is strictly bad. The fallout from that is we're going to see more risk in the market. We're going to see companies that would have grown not grow as fast. We're going to see people lose money because they're dealing with shadowy partners instead of established banks. So that's actually just strictly a long-term negative. What we're seeing on the other side with, let's say, uh, the CFTC lawsuit against Binance or the SEC Wells notice to Coinbase or some of the pushes to... uh, to to poke at the soft spots in regulation, figure out what is a security, what is not a security, where should crypto be regulated? How do we separate exchange from custody? All of those are painful things. They're gonna be hard for the crypto industry to get through, but they're all going to be net good for the industry at the end of the road, almost regardless of how they shake out. If we have more clarity on who regulates crypto and who doesn't, if we have better rules to separate exchange from custody and and uh, and trading, uh, those will be better for investors. So I see the banking stuff as a negative. I see uh, most of the regulatory stuff as a long-term positive. And the collapse of FTX and those things, I just don't think matters. In any massive bull market, you and I have been living through the greatest bull market for any publicly traded asset ever, ever. In any massive bull market, you're going to get fraudsters and charlatans, and they have to be flushed out of the system. And that's all that FTX was. My heart goes out to the people who lost money. It's deeply unfortunate. Um, But I don't think that matters at all to the long-term trajectory of crypto. Yeah, I mean, I I think there has to be these very high highs and very low lows as, again, I mean, you mentioned part of it being cyclical, but also in terms of flushing out the bad actors. We would rather have that happen now. I think anyone would agree versus 10 years down the road, kicking the can down the road and having this be uncovered when there are millions and millions of dollars more in the system. So couldn't agree more there. And I would say, I mean, I'm sure that we're far from done as well, right? So not to you know put a dark cloud over it, but these things definitely happen and continue to happen. We see that things like this happen in our financial system as well, which is highly regulated. Um, and if people want to perform or be bad actors, they'll typically try to find a way to do so. That doesn't mean it'll work in the long run, but maybe over the short term before it actually is found out. So um, nothing fully new. (laughs) Exactly right. And I would add that this this has been true for crypto forever. I mean, that's something that people on the outside miss. What was the first big existential collapse in crypto? It was the failure of Mt. Gox in 2014, right? At the time, the largest custodian, like vastly more market power than any entity has in crypto today completely collapsed and lost people's money. Out of those ashes, though, was born the modern crypto custody movement, where today we can custody assets at Fidelity, where Bank of New York is developing custody, where we have regulated qualified custodians. So the crypto industry has been the story of massive growth, overreach, sort of collapse and reset, and then building from a stronger foundation. And all we're seeing in 2023 
is this repeating again. It's the same exact story. In this case, the overreach maybe was in the development of exchanges, which, which didn't build in the investor protections that they needed, didn't build in the clarity in terms of the separation of custody and trading. And we saw FTX collapse. We see issues with Binance. We see Coinbase going through some regulatory challenges. On the other side of that, though, is going to be a more robust, cleaner infrastructure that's better for investors. And it's, it really is the same exact story that's led to this persistent bull market in crypto over 10 years. One of the things I love to say is all the short-term news in crypto is negative, but all the long-term news is positive. And you're seeing that play out again. And I think investors are seeing through it. And that's why the price is rallying. It's, it's so interesting too the dichotomy of, you know, the behavior of people on the crypto side who are very much in it, very bullish, obviously, long run, and the way that they view a lot of the news that comes out versus, you know, who I'm trying to get to with this podcast and a lot of the work that you do with Bitwise, which is more of the, the crowd that generally speaking has historically rejected or been a bit hesitant about the space. And looking at all of the headlines that you've mentioned, all of the things that you've deemed as, um, you know, what's actually material for the long run and net positive versus what short term noise, it's it is hard to kind of work through. And you think about the regulatory side, the SEC, the CFTC, the White House, everyone having different commentary on this. I know like the SEC issuing warnings about risks in crypto, the White House publishing like a 36, 35 page report on crypto that is very, very much negative. Um, Elizabeth Warren wanting to put like a war on crypto. Um, right. it, it is, un, I do empathize with the average person who is not full-time in the space, does not have a reason to believe that things are going to get better. Uh, in fact, probably get worse. What do you say to them in trying to cut through the noise of it? Because I think that's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, I think I think it's really challenging, um, particularly if you haven't been around crypto for a while. If you've been around crypto for a while, you know that we've been facing these headwinds for a decade, even as Bitcoin has rallied 110,000% or so over the last 10 years. So you're used to this sort of dichotomy. For many investors, the, the answer actually comes down to position sizing in your portfolio, believe it or not. Uh, if you were putting this as a majority of your portfolio or 20, 30% of your portfolio, that sort of existential regulatory risk makes it very difficult to invest. Because as bullish as I am, there are risks that could severely delay crypto, right? Elizabeth Warren did put out a tweet saying she's built an army of anti, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, but it doesn't sound good. So there are risks. But what I would encourage those investors who are skeptical to do is to think about crypto as an asymmetric asset, which means the price of crypto could theoretically fall to zero. I don't think that's the case. You don't think that's the case. But I think people out there looking at the regulatory developments worry that that could be the case. Okay, let's accept that. On the flip side of that, many of us in the crypto industry think that the crypto industry could 10x or more over the next handful of years as it really starts to go mainstream. And if you're building a portfolio and you have an asset that can go to zero or can 10X, what it means is that you wanna have a little bit of that asset that you can afford to hold if it goes to zero, but that if it 10Xs, it makes a material impact on your portfolio. If you have 2% of your portfolio in crypto and it goes to zero, that's like any day in the traditional stock market. S&P 500 goes up 2%, down 2%, completely regularly, and we don't think about it. 
But if that 2% 10X is and it adds 20% to your returns, that can be a life-changing amount. So really the answer is you can't get past the risk. The risk is why it has the potential for high return. The way to handle that is to only have a small allocation. And that's what most of our clients do. And that's what I think is uh, is appropriate for most investors who want to allocate to the space. See again, refreshing practical takes because no one in no one in crypto ever wants to stop and talk about the more traditional portfolio allocation approaches, right? It still it matters here. I would say it matters especially in really volatile asset classes. So that's something that I try to ping the drum on as much as possible, right? It's not as exciting as you know throwing your money into a coin that you don't even know what the the basis of it is, but you want to see it 10x, and you know you kind of get. It caught up in the hype, like the, the principles matter, right? And I think they are something that carry through no matter what you're doing. So um, that is bringing up a good point on specific to what you're working with with Bitwise. And I'm curious for your take on the last three months, you guys are specifically focused on bringing crypto education and you know crypto products on the investment side to more of the institutional professional investors, advisors, institutions, et cetera. What what is the feedback that you've received from that crowd in the midst of what's happened in the last even six months? And yeah. how are you tailoring the conversations that you're having with them? Yeah, great question. I mean, the first thing, as you know, is that the demand for learning about crypto, the educational demand, never had a bear market. So in terms of the level of interest in crypto, the number of people who want to ask questions, who want to dig in, who want to read research reports about it. Uh, that's been going up and to the right for as long as I've been involved in the space. And so, you know, last year, we continued to have strong meetings, strong interest, platform approvals that will allow people to allocate to crypto. I think as we've turned the corner <clears throat> into this year, you know, people have been excited about what this next new bull market in crypto looks like, what it means, and what, you know, how, how big it could potentially be. We spent a lot of last year talking to advisors about the fact that crypto is cyclical, that 2022 looked like it was going to be a down year, just like every fourth year before it. And what that meant is you have to think about where you're positioning for the next bull run. Um, and so we've been talking about, about what we, we think that bull run looks like. We think it's the bull market where crypto goes mainstream. We think the things you're seeing in terms of the scalability of layer two solutions and sort of the dramatic fall and the cost of accessing blockchains means that the technology is finally ready to go mainstream. And as a result, we actually think this bull market will be the biggest yet in terms of aggregate market cap added. And so we've been talking to investors about what that looks like, what the real world use cases look like, what the fundamental metrics underlying crypto looks like, you know, why there is this rally even in the face of negative news. And I think I think people are getting the message. Um, you know, it's the best performing asset class in the world this year, uh, sort of quietly. You know, most people haven't realized that, and and I think that's that's piquing their interest now, and they're wondering where it goes for the next three years, and and that's a pretty exciting story. Very exciting story. And do you have you seen looking at the data? Right, I know Bitwise does a lot of research and puts out a lot of reports, which um, are always great. Have you seen the growth of institutional investors reshaping crypto in any sort of way if you're looking at the data over the past few years? Yeah. Oh, my God. So massively. I'll, I'll give you two, two examples. Um, the CME Bitcoin futures open interest, which, you know, retail investors or, or, or crypto DGENs are not trading on the CME. Those are institutions that want exposure in a regulated market. 
And the open interest in that, whether you're expressing it uh, in absolute dollars or in Bitcoin, has been soaring, particularly this year, uh, but really over the last four years. It's become one of the most important markets in the world. And I think that is proof positive that institutions are increasingly involved in that space. The other thing I can point to is, is at Bitwise ourselves, you know, we serve primarily financial advisors, some institutions and some family offices, and our client counts have been soaring over the past few years. I think if you backed up a handful of years, we, we served a few hundred financial advisors. Now it's well into the thousands and it's growing very fast. Uh, we've had inflows every year at Bitwise. So I do think the institutions are coming. And one thing that I always have to remind uh, people who are native to the crypto ecosystem is that the professional capital market is really exponentially larger than the retail capital market. I think most people think retail investors control about 20% of the wealth. Institutions and professionals control about 80% of the world's wealth. So this market moving into crypto is a big deal. Um, and it hasn't slowed down. I think, I think by the end of this bull market cycle, by 2025, crypto will be normalized uh, in most institutional portfolios as something people need a piece of or need exposure to. And so on the on the other side of the coin, right, you're working with a lot more um, financial advisory firms, you're working with institutions and whatnot, you're seeing the numbers go up and to the right, which is great um, in terms of mass adoption and, you know, bringing in that institutional capital. On the other side of that, for those who are still hesitant, I mean, how much of that, and maybe, maybe a bit of a dumb question, but like, is most of that related to the regulatory environment in the United States right now and the hesitancy of entering a market where there's so um, there's such a lack of clarity in terms of where things are going versus where they are now. Yeah, I, you know, we do a survey every year of financial advisors, a couple hundred advisors, what's keeping them from investing in crypto and regulatory uncertainty has been the number one thing each and every year. That's part of the reason why I'm so excited, uh, sort of ironically, about what's going on with the, the SEC and uh, and Coinbase, because it's going to force some of that regulatory clarity that will bring people into the market. So that's a big deal. But there's still this core educational gap that exists. There's still people who expect crypto, because it's labeled a cryptocurrency, to be used primarily to buy coffee. And because their friends aren't buying coffee with Bitcoin, they think it must be uh, tulip bulbs. And I know that sounds ridiculous to everyone on this podcast who knows a fair amount about crypto, uh, but I think that still may be the majority view. And as a result, they're missing that everything that's going on in terms of you know the idea of non-sovereign digital money, in the terms of public blockchains that can build a new internet infrastructure, in terms of what's going on in DeFi and the incredible proof of concepts we have there, just because their mental model is something different. So I do think regulatory clarity is really important I think for people who have started moving into crypto, that's the gating factor. But I also think there still needs to be a lot of education, uh, believe it or not, at the fundamental level about what this whole crypto thing is about. It's much, much bigger than most people give it credit for. I agree for sure. And the education gap there is we're so early on that. I know that's such a crypto meme. We are so early, but really are. And I do think that it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing, right? In some cases where you see a lot of people pushing back on crypto and their priors are reinforced by everything that's going on that's perceived as highly negative from a regulatory standpoint. 
And that just encourages some people to continue not learning about it. It continues to, you know, get them to keep believing the misconceptions or, you know, the stereotypes of crypto that have maybe since been proven wrong, but very, very long-standing misconceptions. What can people in the crypto space do to encourage people who may not want to even learn about this to get involved? Because I do think a lot of people are using what's been going on over the past few months as an excuse to continue what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you're pointing to something really powerful, which is anchoring bias, which is sort of a key thought in behavioral finance. For many people, the first time they heard about crypto was when Mt. Gox collapsed or when Silk Road happened or when FTX collapsed. And as a result, they have this sort of negative inherent bias. The first thing I would encourage sort of crypto proponents to do is to recognize that fact and to understand that you you have to deal with those people where they are and talk to them about the positive aspects of crypto, uh, the things that are really going on. In the end, it's going to be real world use that brings these people over. Uh, once they see their friends, uh, their cousins, um, their colleagues using crypto on a day-to-day basis to do things you can't do today, then those deep skeptics are going to come on board. Beyond that, you know, point them to the increasing set of professional resources out there. And there is an increasing set of professional resources, certainly in the finance industry, every major educational uh, group in finance now has high quality crypto materials. That's really come a long way. But first, I would just say, you know, recognize where these people are. Many of them have anchored on crypto as a negative thing. It's going to take a lot to get them over the gap, but they'll get there. It's a matter of time. Yeah. And I, you know, definitely will always take longer than you hope it will from being in the space and being bullish on it, but being in it day to day, definitely hard to remember sometimes that you are very siloed versus what the majority of society as a whole sees. I remember every time my mom texts me about crypto when she sees a headline. And then I remember not everyone is in this every single day. Right. And I think a big part of the education, in my opinion, has to come around also addressing the very real negative sides of the space right now. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of things that I think can be very much improved upon. And I'd be curious for your takes on the biggest things that leaders in the crypto space, I know you've mentioned education already, should be doing better to help move this along. Yeah, I I think education is a key piece. And I think realizing that we need better regulatory protections is a key thing as well. I don't think crypto can look at FTX and say everything is great. I don't think crypto should look at Luna and say everything is great. Uh, I don't think you know crypto can look at many of the other failures like BlockFi or Gemini Earn and think everything is hunky-dory. Many people lost their, their life savings. They lost real money in those things. Um, and there is a space for better regulation to lead to better outcomes. Now, there is a risk of regulatory overreach. But if you just disengage from the regulatory conversation and imagine this sort of, you know, anarchic overthrow of the existing system, that's a losing strategy. I think what crypto needs to do uh, besides education is engage deeply in those regulatory conversations, recognize that they're challenging and recognize that there can be real benefits from regulation, more deeply separating custody from trading. It's probably a good thing making sure that if an exchange goes bankrupt, customers have rights to their assets that are protected outside of bankruptcy, probably a good thing. Clear disclosures from uh, from new 
new developments about the risks is probably a good thing. I mean, I remember being at Consensus, the conference a few years ago and seeing a truck driving around advertising 120% annualized yield on investments. That's just going to lead to disasters and black eyes. We don't want that in the industry either. So uh, not just you know closing your eyes and pretending we don't need regulation, but engaging to make sure we have good regulation, I think is going to be critical to the industry's success. So as a very biased towards crypto person, I know how this will sound asking the question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Do, in your opinion, do regulators really want to engage with the crypto firms in the U.S. as they're working through everything that they are in a regulatory perspective right now? Yeah, I think some of them do. I think they're good people in the regulatory agencies. And we've certainly seen some people come out of the regulatory agencies and be leaders within the crypto space, uh, Brian Cortez and others. Um, so there are good people in the regulatory agency that are innovation focused, that want to make sure that innovation takes place in U.S. soil, um, who want to engage. Not everyone, not everyone is looking for it. Uh, there's certainly parts of the regulatory body that are engaged in sort of growing their domain, maybe beyond the boundaries of what the law intends for them to do. And um, I don't think they have the best interests of crypto at heart. But again, that doesn't mean that we can just ignore them because these are powerful forces that will shape our industry, whether we want to or not. And so we have to engage with them and engage with them on education and engage with them truthfully. I mean, I'll go way back on a Bitwise story. One of the first things Bitwise did is go to the SEC and publish a report that made the front page of the Wall Street Journal saying 95% of reported trading volume in the crypto industry at the time was fake. And that sounds like a negative headline for the crypto industry, but all the statistics were garbage and everyone in crypto knew they were garbage and Bitwise pointed out why that was true. We did it talking to the regulators and that market has been cleaned up. You go to coinmarketcap.com and you now recognize the top exchanges and you know people who trade there. That wasn't true five years ago. The industry is better as a result. You can't disengage. You can't ignore the negative aspects. You have to work with the regulators, even if they're hostile to crypto, to try to at least bend them to the best possible space. We've seen some really interesting um, kind of eventful headlines recently that you've mentioned, but I want to dig into a little bit more um, specific to Coinbase, right? One of the the biggest far and away leaders in the crypto space from a centralized exchange perspective, one of the biggest onboarding tools for, you know, people that are new to crypto that want something that feels familiar to a brokerage app, something that they don't have to worry about self-custody, very, very easy to get started versus some of the other more decentralized projects that are built out there right now. And what is happening with Coinbase specifically? And why did you, um, which is the reason that I initially uh, emailed you about being on this podcast, why is that a good thing um, for the long run in terms of regulation in the States when it seems so bleak in terms of a company that was trying to go by the books as much as possible with the lack of clarity that was there, that has many times tried to engage with regulators, now being served up a notice and regulators are kind of taking a different tone with it. But you see uh -huh. that as a good thing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. I see it as a good thing for a couple of reasons. I've, I've this sort of theory of, of crypto that everything seems to work out perfectly. And I think this is an, actually an example of that. Uh, so what happened, of course, the SEC served Coinbase a Wells notice. What a Wells notice is, is it's a um, 
report from the SEC saying they've engaged in an investigation and they think that a company has violated federal securities rules. Specifically, what the Wells Notice said is they think they were violating securities rules around their listing procedures, what crypto assets were listed on the exchange. You're not supposed to be able to list securities without being a registered securities exchange. And then around their earn program and staking. So why is this good? It's good for two reasons. One, we mentioned earlier, which is we need to resolve these issues anyway. For the last 10 years, there's been this debate about whether crypto assets are securities or commodities or something else. And the determination of that debate determines the kind of entities that crypto can trade on. It determines how broker dealers interact with crypto. There are a lot of downstream effects. And what we've had so far is just gray, muck, opacity. No one knows. Coinbase doesn't know. The SEC won't tell anyone. It says tells the Coinbase, you listing securities, but we're not going to tell you which assets are securities. Totally insane. Here at Bitwise, we spend countless hours doing our own risk-based analysis of every asset we put into our indexes to determine if we think it's going to be found to be a security or commodity by the SEC. This is craziness, right? Just tell us what's a security and what's a commodity. So we have to go through this process anyway. But the reason I think it works out so perfectly is Coinbase is the only entity in crypto with the legal resources and the financial resources to have this conversation at a peer level with the SEC. What I worried about was that the SEC would sue a much smaller exchange and it would go to court and set precedent between what is the security and what is the commodity based on sort of the giant SEC wrestling with like a 20 person entity. And instead we have the giant SEC wrestling with a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company with a decade of experience, some of the best legal minds in the world. And as a result, we're going to see a fair fight with an outcome of greater clarity. At least that is my hope. Uh, so I think that we've had this series of things that have worked out really well in crypto. I think this is an example of it. It's the right fight to have. Now, would I rather, again, that this were a collaborative relationship, that the SEC opened its doors and Coinbase went there and sort of camped out in DC for three months and they debated and discussed what is the security, what is the commodity, how are we going to regulate this new thing, digital assets? Let's come up with this kumbaya moment and move on. That's just not the reality we're in. So we're going to have this debate in a contentious way, but at least it's a balanced contentious debate. And I think on the other side are the regulatory clarity and regulatory rules that will lead toward the mainstreaming of crypto, which is what I'm here for, right? I'm building this company. I'm, I'm part of this industry because I think it's going to go mainstream. To do that, we need regulatory clarity. We're not getting it the way I want, but sometimes you get it the way you need. And I think that's what's going on right here. I do think you get a lot of clarity out of conflict. And to your point, I mean, there is no, in my opinion as well, like no better firm that could be in talks with the SEC to really get the answers that everyone is asking for. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that unfold. But what is, um, if you happen to know, the timeline in terms of how this all unfolds from here that people can follow along with? Is there a clear procedure for you know what comes next? Yeah, there's not a perfectly clear procedure. So the, the Wells notice, I think, was March 27th. Typically, companies have, I could be off on that. Typically, companies have 
one to two weeks to issue a response. That response can be public or private. So we don't know if Coinbase has issued a response. And then after that, usually what happens is the SEC sues the company. Uh, that could happen anytime in the next couple of months. Sometimes the, the, the two groups come together in a settlement. And that, of course, is possible. I'm sure those conversations are going on right now. But I suspect the most likely scenario is we'll see a lawsuit from the SEC to Coinbase in the next few months. One warning for crypto investors, the day that lawsuit hits, it's going to sound ugly. So all of these lawsuits, the SEC has great lawyers, they're very smart, they're good writers, they get to present their case without Coinbase answering it. So the day that we see the lawsuit, it will feel like the weight of the world is crashing down on Coinbase because we'll have a one-sided argument and Coinbase will not be able to publicly respond or at least not fully. And so I suspect that will be a negative day for crypto and that there will be an overhang of that day for a period of weeks or months because that's what we saw in Ripple. It looked like a slam dunk for the SEC. I mean, that lawsuit was devastating to read, exceptionally well-written, incredible facts, et cetera. It looked like that for Binance. If you read the CFTC's lawsuit, incredibly damning. Uh, and I suspect that's how it will feel when this next shoe falls, but you shouldn't lose hope. That doesn't mean it's actually an unfair fight. It just means you're only seeing one side of the spectrum. Yeah, there's how many instances of this have we seen, right? So it's, it's um, very curious to follow along with that. And alongside that, which is something that I try not to mention on every podcast, right? Because it's just um, repeating the same thing over and over around what do financial advisors talk about, right? You put out your Bitwise survey for advisors, many mentions of, I can't remember the specific stat in, in the past report um, that was put out, but around a crypto ETF, a spot ETF, which as we know, is um, available in other countries, but not in the US. There's a futures ETF for Bitcoin available here, but not a spot ETF. Um, long-standing debate on this. I, a lot of the people that I used to work with say it was like putting training wheels in a Ferrari, taking away all of the benefits that you see from blockchain technology and putting it back to traditional packaging. I obviously take a bit of a different stance on that in terms of bridging the gap to bring people over, which I've talked about. You obviously, I would assume, feel similarly working at Bitwise with everything you guys are building. And you come from the ETF world. I remember you from your ETF days. So curious for your take on what's going on with Grayscale um, and how they're trying to fight in regards to more of the crypto ETF side of things, because that's something that's been ongoing as well. Oh, ongoing forever. The first, uh, the first Bitcoin ETF was filed when the price of Bitcoin was $80. And so uh, from $80 to $30,000, the SEC has prevented investors from accessing the safest, cheapest wrapper that we have in the capital markets. I think that's a, a tremendous loss that we can't recover from. Yeah, it's a great, great question about the Grayscale uh, lawsuit. Of course, the SEC has done this really strange, logical thing of approving futures-based ETFs that settle to the spot price of Bitcoin, while at the same time saying they can't approve spot ETFs because the underlying price of Bitcoin is not reliable and subject to market manipulation. Now, I studied philosophy and logic in college, and I can't diagram an argument that makes those two things make sense. Maybe there is one, but I can't figure out how if you don't trust a price on the left, you can trust the price on the right. That's the same exact thing. doesn't make any sense. So Grayscale has sued the SEC 
for rejecting its attempt to convert GBTC to an ETF on the grounds that it's arbitrary and capricious. I think this is another example of everything working out perfectly in the crypto industry. What other entity has the financial resources and expertise to sue the SEC? You don't typically sue your regulator. I may not like that the SEC rejected the, the Bitwise application for a spot Bitcoin ETF, but we're not going to move forward with a lawsuit against the SEC. But Grayscale has the resources to do that. So far, what's happened is we've had the hearing, and it's typically a one-day hearing in front of a, a panel of three judges, and it was incredibly positive for Grayscale. The judges were very skeptical of the SEC's argument. I think the consensus was that Grayscale won the day. Now, that doesn't mean Grayscale will win the lawsuit, but in terms of what to expect, sometime in the next few months, likely either in June or more likely in September, we'll hear a ruling from this panel of judges. The critical thing and the unfortunate thing is even if they find in favor of Grayscale that the SEC acted in an arbitrary and capricious way, that doesn't mean we automatically get a spot Bitcoin ETF. What it means is that the, uh, the review of that ETF is returned to the SEC for additional rulemaking. So they can no longer make this absurd argument about market manipulation if Grayscale wins, but there are other hurdles to having a spot Bitcoin ETF. Our view at Bitwise is it's, we're unlikely to get a spot Bitcoin ETF this year, but we do think we'll get one eventually. I think 2024 is looking uh, brighter for spot Bitcoin ETFs, and I sure hope by 2025, it's almost a certainty. Uh, but that's where it is. It's another example of something that's been true in crypto for a long time, which is when regulators and crypto meet in the legal field, crypto does better than people expect. And that is because much of the law is actually on, on the side of the crypto argument. So I expect good things there, but you never know. Um, but we'll find out either June or, or after the summer recess. So the last part of what you just said, most of the argument in, like on the law side of things is in favor of crypto. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I think that is something that, again, a, a lot of people probably struggle to process given everything that we're seeing in the news these days. Yeah, in the end, you know, in the end, crypto is just another kind of investment. And as long as you fit it in with the parameters of the existing rules and regulations, investors should be able to access it. That's sort of the fundamentals of how the American investment system works. Uh, and what we've seen over the years is that many times when regulators come into conflict with crypto in the court of law, crypto wins the day or at least has a better shot than many people expected. Um, you know, I go back to that example of Ripple. The SEC has sued Ripple and XRP for being a security. There's no clarity that, that Ripple will win that lawsuit. But when it was filed, it was assumed that it was a complete slam dunk for the SEC, right? Ripple fit many people's definitions of a security and some common sense thoughts of what a security would be. So you could see why the SEC followed that lawsuit. And what we've seen through the court documents is it's a very contentious battle and the outcome is uncertain. Um, and I think we're going to see that again when we get to the question of what is a security and what is a commodity, uh, because it really isn't particularly clear where that line is drawn. And crypto has a lot of legal resources and a lot of ex-regulatory resources who have worked on the arguments and evaluated the space for over a decade and have come to a real conclusion. So I think there's this perception that crypto is a bunch of law, you know, cowboys. Um, and that's just not true. 
many crypto entities are trying to work within the laws and regulations that exist. And as a result, when they clash in court, they tend to have a, a fair shake. And uh, I think you'll see that in Grayscale. I think you did see it in the Grayscale lawsuit. I think you'll see it in Coinbase if it goes to court. Um, I think it's just a positive uh, fact, fact pattern in the ecosystem. I try not to be overwhelmingly bullish on these uh, recordings, but given everything that you just said, it's crazy to think about. I've only been in this space for a couple of years now, so definitely by no means a veteran, but it, it does feel like things are finally starting to come to a head, um, which is going to be very interesting for the rest of the year. So I know you talk about all of this being beneficial for the long run. I'd assume that's much longer than a year from now. How do you see the rest of 2023 playing out given everything that we've talked about? Yeah, our, our prediction at Bitwise that we made at the start of this year is that crypto would have like a U-shaped recovery. So we thought it would have a natural bounce. Uh, we've seen that. I think there is this period of volatility and contentiousness that we'll experience over the summer. There is this continued regulatory assault, some of the easy gains in the market. So I'd expect volatility through the middle of the year. But we're very excited about crypto over the next two years. So um, I suspect this bull market, which again, if it's like past bull markets, will be three years, uh, at least three years in duration. I think it's going to be the biggest one yet. So expect some volatility in the short to intermediate term. There, there are more regulatory and legal headlines to come. But on the other side of that, I really do think there's this mainstreaming of crypto. And it's important to remember how early we still are in crypto. You mentioned that as a joke. The entire crypto industry, the whole thing, the whole shooting mess is smaller than some individual companies, uh, which is an incredible fact. You mentioned that the White House dedicated 30 plus pages of its economic report to the president on crypto. That was 12% of their entire report of what's going on in the economy was focused on crypto. And yet it's smaller than some individual companies. The reason is that I think regulators, Washington, politicians recognize how potentially disruptive this is how large the addressable market is. So volatility, don't buy crypto if you're going to sell it you know, tomorrow. Uh, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But I think the long term is, is, is really looking, uh, looking great to me. Uh, and I'm very excited to be here for it. You and me both. Uh, well, that is a perfect place to wrap. So Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully um, look forward to following along with all of your commentary and what we just talked about is kind of in the pipeline for the industry as a whole. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks so much. All opinions expressed by your hosts in the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency.